Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at the outcomes of the party conferences and the possible impact to the economy, and whether now is the time to pay off mortgages versus investing. With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Olivia Gleeson, UK Government Expert, Miles Sherry, Wealth Manager, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. There is still a lot going on, much of it in the UK, but also across the world. As usual, we are lucky to be joined by just the right people to help our listeners find a little investing signal through the blizzard of noise. Before we talk about what is going on this week, Olivia, it's been about three weeks since we last had you on. And since then, we've had both the Labour and the Conservative Party conference. It'd be great to hear your reflections. Sure. I mean, I can't be the only one who sort of thinks we're living in a bit of a time warp. They were only a few weeks ago and it already feels like a slightly different political era. And we were sort of on the ground at all of the conferences. But yeah, I think, you know, starting with Labour, the mood music was generally uh, really upbeat. And, you know, the front bench kind of gave this quite united sense that they were a government in waiting compared to previously. And obviously, you know, their sense of optimism is helped by recent polling. I can't keep up, but I think, you know, it's a 17 point lead on average or something with the Conservatives, which we haven't seen since Tony Blair's landslide in sort of 2001. So that's significant. And then the other sort of noticeable thing is, you know, gone was the sort of introspection or infighting. You know, they didn't spend any of conference talking about themselves. You know, they spent the whole of conference talking outwards and their sort of economic plan and really sort of rolling the pitches. You know, they're back as the centre ground party in, in British politics and a kind of government in waiting. So that was really interesting. And then, then on the other side, I'll sort of dwell briefly on the Conservative conference where I was lucky enough uh, to be there again. Slightly more uh, dramatic, you know, I think there was a general acknowledgement from MPs, you know, Tory MPs, it had been a very tough week for the government, obviously quite bleak polling. And, you know, we did see some sort of cabinet rifts spill over onto the conference floor um, with ministers at fringe events saying things. And, I, you know, generally, I think there was a sense of angst and uncertainty amongst MPs about the party um, and what's you know all what's going on and it was rounded off by uh, the Prime Minister Liz Truss's speech on the Wednesday morning you know it was noticeably short policy light delivered you know pretty confidently actually but I think it sort of reflects number 10's desire to sort of uh, wrap up uh, conference season uh, and put it behind them and move on but yeah I'll stop there I could go on for ages about conference antics so I'm sure you want to hear from Will. I do indeed. And yeah, it'd be great to get back on to this week. So Will, let's come to you. Can you give us maybe a potted summary of the week just gone and what lies ahead? You're not asking for my review of conference season. No, we're moving on to this week, I think. I'm sure you'd love a ticket. Yeah, yeah. I'd love a little go, but I'm not going to. I'm glad we've got Olivia here. I'm sure we'll hear about the S&P, I guess, coming up. But quite a lot of it's been about the UK, actually, and sort of what's been going on. This kind of what was described I saw on on social media as the kind of cage fight between the Bank of England and bond investors looking at the UK. Um, It's been quite a tricky context for the Bank of England in making decisions. And obviously, we're sort of exiting that period where you know, you're seeing the super normal help. There are still schemes ongoing on Monday. It doesn't end full stop. I think that's one of the things that people are looking to. 
But elsewhere, I guess the story is really about, it's still really about the US economy, signs the US economy is still running a bit too hot. And so central bankers still having, you know, work to do. So we had labor market data, which is broadly in line with expectations last week. But you've still got this context where there are concerns that given the sort of degree that interest rates have been rising around the world. And remember, we've said this a number of times, but as we came into the year, markets were pricing and expecting around the equivalent of three 25 basis point interest rate hikes in the US. When we get to look back on 2022, it's likely to be the equivalent of 17, one seven uh, 25 basis point interest rates. That is an awful lot for markets, investors, households, businesses to choke down. And there's this idea really that with that sort of outgoing tide in terms of interest rates, this idea that something's going to break. And that's something, you know, the you know people are taking as sort of one of the harbingers, you know, the pension funds trouble, troubles in the UK. You always find that if, you know, contracts were struck in the calm of pre-2020, pre, you know, when interest rates and inflation were sort of, you know, under control, low, you know, contracts for debt, credit, all those kind of things were based, and, and investments were based on the assumption that, you know, interest rates would continue to be well behaved, inflation too. That's not the case right now. And so you start to see those cracks like, people are saying there's been an awful lot of stress being put on the global financial system at the moment. And so really, it's kind of it's a little bit of a nervy period. Okay, well, thank you, Will. Olivia, maybe we can move back to you and you can help us understand the latest political developments with regard to the mini or as some may say the maxi budget that we saw last month. Sure, I think, you know, it's fair to say that sort of market turbulence is sort of intrinsically uh, caught up with the politics, but yeah, happy to dwell on that a bit. And I think, you know, what what we're seeing in the markets is now having a profound effect back on the government. I think it was about less than a month ago, obviously, you referred to that sort of mini maxi budget, you know, government was uh, set out very bold and uncompromising starts to sort of overturn what they said was decades of economic stagnation. And, you know, since then, we've seen a lot of change in that approach already. We've seen a reversal of the planned uh, tax cuts for the highest earners. We've seen, and I'll dwell on it later, but the bringing forward of that fiscal plan, and, you know, a general shift in tone, a lot more conciliatory and a lot less radical. And I think number 10 will be working full tilt to bring the market, but also conservative MPs uh, back on side because they're reaching quite a precarious political situation. And I think, you know, into this week, even political opposition is still building. I don't know if anyone else was geeky enough to watch Treasury questions or just me this week, but you would have seen sort of Tory, quite senior Tory MPs challenging the government on tax cuts. Those are sort of attack lines you'd usually expect to see from opposition MPs, not their own number. So that was really quite unusual. And, you know, we were just talking about it, but I think we shouldn't rule out further potential U-turns after the mini budget if the rebels get their own way. You know, corporation tax seems to be in the hot seat right now, but I wouldn't also, you know, rule out VAT relief, uh, something potentially being done there. Obviously, you know, any further U-turns will be really painful for the government, but will they prove lethal is a different question. And I think the government's priority right now will be to sort of restore unity in its own party and calm the markets. And they won't be thinking so much about their, you know, long-term political future that uh, obviously external commentators will be focused on. But yeah, very rocky road ahead. But, you know, this government's still there, still fighting uh, another day. So yeah, that's where we're at. Okay, that's interesting. Mars, I'd love to bring you in here now because I know you've been speaking to clients daily at the moment and helping them hopefully make the right decisions with their regard to their finances. What are the big questions you are getting from clients at the moment? 
I think the key word there, Sarah, is definitely hopefully. <laughs> um, but but yeah, look, one one point I'd like to make at the start that that may sound surprising to to listeners is that clients, generally speaking, at least, they've not really been looking to sell investments, and that's probably because many of them have been invested with us for a long time and have, have sort of got used to those inevitable bumps that come along the way. But where they are it's often due to a pretty chunky question. So should you sell down investments to pay off any debt? Now, conventional wisdom, of course, is that you should always look to pay off higher interest uh, debt, so stuff like credit cards. But what should you do with stuff like mortgages? And I think that's the main dilemma, really. And it's particularly relevant, of course, for those you know who are coming to the end of a rate that was fixed back when rates were lower. And let's be frank, those times, they feel like a pretty distant memory, don't they? They definitely do. And Miles, I'm going to push you. It's great to hear the questions, but actually, I'm also interested to hear the answers. What are you telling clients who are asking you those questions at the moment? I'm interested too, Miles. <laughs> I'm going to get the paper out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> put, put me on the spot, why don't you? I do. It comes with all the usual disclaimers, right? That to be frank, there is not a right answer. It all depends on individual circumstances, your views on risk, your capacity to take risk, because that's very important as well. But one thing to maybe consider up front is that obviously by investing, you're hoping that over time, your portfolio will, at least to a degree, keep up with inflation. Whereas on the flip side, debt in many ways actually deflates in line with inflation. That might seem obvious, but um, it's something to, to bear in mind. I think the other point is that by selling investments to pay off debt now, you know, you might be potentially selling near the market lows. Look, Will and the guys, they're probably going to blush but they've done an excellent job with our portfolios and funds generally holding up, at least on a relative basis, pretty well this year. But let's be frank, again, bonds and stocks are are well in the red. Now, of course, they might fall further in the short term, but you do run the risk of selling at a low point. And that's clearly when investing exactly what you don't want to be doing. But tied up to all of that, and let's be frank, it's a, it's a very tricky one and also applies to those who have excess cash and are weighing up what to do with that. The cost of debt is rising, sure, but it might also be the case that expected returns from investments have also risen again over the long term. So, look, it's complex. As I said, it's best left to Will, JP and co, the, the real experts. Will, I know you said on here, didn't you, a few weeks back, maybe a couple of months back now, I lose track of time, that you and the team were starting to look at your long-term views. We'll obviously have to wait and see what what comes of that, if, if anything, but... Any quick thoughts from you may be appreciated. I think you answered that perfectly. Yes. I mean, are we looking at our long-term views? Yes, always. I think, you know, we are due to sort of make a sort of more major change to our sort of the asset allocation, you know, the mix of stocks, bonds, commodities, and so on next year. These things are deliberately quite sort of slow moving. You don't want to be too reactive. That's the kind of, you know, the shorter term tactical asset allocation book uh, that takes care of a lot of that. But yeah, you're right. And I think one of the things to think about with regards to higher interest rates and how you think about that in terms of opportunity cost, as you rightly said, when we think about asset allocation more generally, we are factoring, and I say we, that's the royal we, I mean, JP and the guys, the people who do the real work in this business, we are factoring in those attract, you know, the risk reward available from sort of UK interest rates, US interest rates, longer duration, shorter duration, credit, all sorts of things, stocks, commodities, you know, the whole opportunity set and really factoring in. So in a way, you don't want to try and sort of double count what these experts are doing. 
because what they're doing is building you a full package, a one-stop package of investments that incorporates these higher interest rates, as well as stocks and all the rest of it, and how they interact with each other. It's an enormously complicated process. I can't, I really can't overstate uh, how, you know, you know, Miles, you know, you and I both look at it and try to understand it as much as we can. But I'm just very lucky that we've got sort of incredibly clever people who don't get to see the light of day very much, who talk in totally different languages to the to most of the rest of us who are on this on the case. The other thing I think just to sort of bear in mind with regards to just the housing market and what's going on in the UK, I mean, there are some concerns with regards to sort of higher mortgage costs. And that's got to be that's got to be factored in. I mean, one of the points that our investment bank have been making here is that what you do have, and this is not universal, it's a kind of, you know, it's there's lots of out cases, but with regards to where the mortgage debt sits, it is mostly in the UK level matched up against those slightly higher income households uh, where a lot of the savings are also also so 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 you know stop short I think of sort of assuming that this is an immediate crisis you know we're you know the last few years have already put a lot of strain on the low, lower income households with regards to the cost of living crisis and so on but you know we don't, we don't want to get sort of too doomsday about it but what I would say about house prices is you know more generally there is a reasonably and we've been pointing this out for a few years there's a reasonably good long-term relationship between Inflation-adjusted interest rates, so real interest rates and house prices. And I think, you know, the Bank of England did a study on this a couple of years back. Uh, I can send it around to anyone who wants to get in touch with me on LinkedIn, where they sort of, they, over very long periods, they said a 1% rise in real interest rates can be associated with a, you know, 20%-ish fall in house prices over time, not in one chunk. But you can make the argument that I think, from our perspective, a multi-asset class diversified package of investments, including stocks, bonds, commodities, and all the rest of it, um, is likely to be a more attractive proposition or maybe improved proposition relative to, you know, the house price of, you know, a particular street. Um, you're getting that diversified access to the world economy, remember, over the next 20, 30 years than it has been maybe in the last 10, 20 years when they've been more evenly matched. That was quite a long-winded response, but it was. But says, some, I'm sorry. There's yeah. some very useful, uh, useful insights. And as you say, with that long-term view, it's a case of sit tight, watch this space, and leave it to leave it to the experts. Stay calm. I think they say, don't they? Yeah, if you yeah. can. Yeah. Excellent like that. And um, Olivia, I wanted to come back to you again because there's just so much going on. Can you help us understand the timeline from here? I know we have a statement that's due on the 30th of October, but what should we be watching out for? Yeah, it's quite a lot of watch outs and I'll keep it brief to make up for Will's sort of babbling. Uh, give the listeners some some, <laughs> some, some time harsh. back, even though he's going to have stuff to say, yeah. so we'll allow it. Um, yeah, of course, you talk about that sort of uh, medium term fiscal plan. And remember, it's brought forward from the end of November, uh, owing to that sort of intense uh, political pressure I referred to earlier. Now, essentially, this is the chance, the sort of uh, opportunity to convince the market that his and the government's fiscal plans are sustainable. And I think what I particularly, you know, call out is obviously there's going to be a lot of focus on how the tax cuts, those that remain from the mini maxi budget will be funded. The Prime Minister was very clear this week at PMQs that there has to be a, you know, a pathway out for the tax cuts, but they are not looking at new austerity. And she ruled that out pretty clearly. Um, But yeah, there's a lot riding on that. Of course, we'll be watching closely. But I think the other thing I'd sort of uh, touch on and Will referred to earlier, we shouldn't forget, is uh, the SNP in all of this. You know, the SNP's party conference just concluded this week. And with it, we sort of have further developments on, uh, I call it Indie Ref 2, which I hope is common common parlance uh, for listeners. But, 
you know, the Scottish government has been at the Supreme Court this week setting out its case for a referendum without Westminster's consent. And look, I think the base case is that the Scottish government will lose uh, this particular challenge, uh, never say never, but it definitely adds to the headaches at number 10. And I think, you know, it's a headache that's not going to go away. If you listen to Nicola Sturgeon, the first minister at the SNP conference, she said, look, if we lose this case, Essentially, we're going to treat the next UK general election as a sort of single issue uh, proxy poll on independence. So, look, we're going to be talking about uh, this issue, you know, the highs and lows uh, of the potential referendum to come for for quite a while. Yeah. So hopefully there's sort of appetite amongst listeners to sort of keep listening and keep hearing about that one. Excellent. And I think we'll keep having you back on as well. That'd be great. We'll maybe return to you and thinking about what's happening at home. What are the team watching out for in the UK? What are the team watching out for in the UK? I mean, uh, whatever Olivia says, basically, it is happening. You know, I mean, the thing is, I think the thing to, to, to remember in this situation is that the news is moving incredibly fast. And it's quite often easy to just get too caught up in the twists and turns. Um, This is an incredibly challenging backdrop for making policy. I I would steer clear of all of that kind of those surfing waves of schadenfreude around the the world. Uh, You know, there's a lot of emotion involved in this. But just remember how difficult a time this is to be making policy. I mean, these are unprecedented times. And... Yes, I mean, I'm a natural optimist, as you know. As we like. Uh, I think we can get, you know, the UK, remember for those getting too downhearted on the UK, we do have like amazingly impressive comparative advantages in things like financial services, life sciences. We have amazing universities, world respected. Uh, In London, we've got one of the greatest cities on the planet by common consensus. And and those are very good starting points with which to kind of relaunch your economy and get it moving on the productivity terms. For investors, just keep in mind, you know, that whole point of that interregnum between the ICT revolution and the AI revolution, it's ending. uh, And you've got to be sort of invested. And actually, that call option on future human productivity, given, you know, Miles was just talking about this earlier, you know, because of the falls in stock and bond prices this year, that call option on future human productivity is actually pretty attractively priced, in my opinion. I didn't answer your question at all. You know, I, I didn't even notice. Yeah, I know. I I've got so good at not answering your question. Actually, it's quite difficult. True politician, to hey? Yes, I know. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for number 10. Maybe not. But yes, so I think the key is going to be that that budget on October the 30th and to see the details of what happens in that medium term and the, the degree to which, you know, the government can persuade investors to stand down and, you know, trust to the trust of whatever vision emerges over that time frame. Well, thank you, Will. And thank you, Miles and Olivia, for joining us today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back next week and look forward to following on these discussions. Thank you. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.